Hello, free thinkers. I'm Mickey Z, and I welcome you to Post Woke, the New York City-based podcast where we practice intellectual self-defense. Whatever side of this narrative you're on, we have way more things in common than we have that aren't. Um, even the people that are wearing masks, taking the shots versus the guys that refuse to do any of this, we're all trying to be healthier. We all want our children to be healthier, our parents, our grandparents to be healthier. We're all trying to do the right thing. So at the end of the day, try to listen to each other at, at knowing that, you know, we're not the enemies. That was the voice of basketball legend, John Stockton. And if you're not totally familiar with him, please check the show notes to get a brief rundown of his incredible athletic career. But on this episode, John and I are talking about another really important aspect of his life, and that is speaking out as a well-informed, passionate advocate for medical freedom, free speech, informed consent, and more. And you will hear that entire conversation right after this word from our sponsor. Hey, Mickey Z here, and I'm asking you to offer some support for a project that I've been running for nearly six years. It's called Helping Homeless Women NYC. And as the name implies, I've been getting out there on the streets for, like I said, nearly six years to offer direct relief to some of the most vulnerable yet fiercest women you'll ever want to meet. If you check the show notes, you will find a direct link for how to donate at GoFundMe. If you're interested in becoming a Patreon patron or in ordering uh, restaurant gift cards directly from my wish list, shoot me an email and I'll send you that information. But I'm just requesting some support, thanking you in advance and asking you no matter what to please share the link far and wide. Now let's get back to the show. As impressive as his athletic accomplishments are, John Stockton is setting an even greater example as a passionate, dedicated, and highly informed advocate for health and personal freedom, informed consent, free speech, and more. And these stances predate the COVID pandemic by decades, and he remains an unwavering advocate despite attempts to silence him or force him to comply. So John Stockton, welcome to Post Woke. Thanks, Mickey. I'm glad to be here. I'm really glad to have you here. And it's, it's interesting. I, I rewatched your Hall of Fame induction speech. And the reason being is that I really appreciate how, what a point guard you were there. And I'm sure people said this to you. You were, you were dishing out assists to practically everyone in your life, never once really <laughs> letting the spotlight linger too long on you. And I respect that, but I hope, I hope you're at least a little comfortable today talking somewhat about yourself because this journey that you've been on and the, the, the way you're speaking up now, and I want to say this right up front, we want to talk about your podcast, Voices for Medical Freedom. So feel free to toss that in at any point. But this journey you're on is, is one that can really inspire and encourage and educate others. So um, I'm going to ask you to, to have the spotlight on you a little bit today. And I want to begin by, I've, 
I've always admired whenever I've seen you speak or heard you on podcasts about how much of a hero your dad has been to you and a role model that has led you to to a great career in speaking out. But I also know that he um, had some issues with some vaccines that he took and, and also one of your children. And perhaps you could just tell us a little bit about this personal aspect as a launching pad to get you to to um, study this issue and speak out bravely under any circumstances? Well, the studying of it, I guess, came a long time, even before those injuries, uh, but they were proving grounds as we went along, kind of like where you where, where you learn stuff and you go, ah, I wonder if that's kind of true or not. And then whap, it hits you right in the face. It's on your front porch and you can't miss it. And you mentioned my father, my father was well into his eighties. And of course, you know, my sister's a nurse um, she, and, and they believe that the flu shot's the right thing. You know, these are the vulnerable. These are the the oldest and the youngest are the vulnerable. They must get the flu shot. Then you start seeing what's in the flu shot. There's, there's in, in almost all of them, there's mercury, aluminum, formaldehyde. Uh, you know, these are, these are toxins. These are yeah. things that can seriously hurt you. And, and in, in the case of my father, uh, three straight years in a row, we, we, we're slow learners in my family, myself included. And, uh, three straight years in a row, he went into sepsis two to three days after getting the flu shot. Wow. And uh, sepsis, for those who don't know, is a blood infection that's very, very dangerous. He was in the hospital for a month and then rehab for another month. Uh, this was this set him back considerably. He was lifting weights with me what, three times a week at 84 years old, and suddenly he was 90. You know, it, it was 90 in a day, and and uh, those types of illnesses take their toll, and it's because of the shot. Wow. And now that you said you were already doing some homework, but I would imagine that really kicked things into gear for you where you, you're like, I want to protect myself. I want to protect my family. And unfortunately I'm learning the hard way that I just can't take at face value what the quote unquote experts are telling me. Absolutely not. And it's funny. You, you mentioned one of my children was harmed by as a youngster too. And we believe that he, he was, as soon as he came out of the hospital was sick seemingly every day of his life. Um, uh, didn't really think much of it. Didn't think it could be the three shots that you get before, without even asking for them before you leave the hospital, the three vaccines. Um, but we knew, we saw him react to one in around four years old. We saw him react specifically to one and we we're able to treat it holistically. So so no problem. But they, but what I've learned through all this is all the people that are, their lives are severely changed because of these shots. And nobody hears about it. I mean, I, I've talked to hundreds of people now that, that their children have have uh, ended up with autism. Their children have ended up with, with, gosh, a variety of things. I mean, so many can be traced back to them. In fact, it's in most of their flyers, uh, what some possibilities are, and, and nobody makes the, the connection, and certainly nobody announces it. So we got off lucky. Uh, my dad survived it. My son survived it. Um, but um, there's a lot of people who don't. Yeah, and I would imagine, like you say, nobody wants to talk about it. Part of it is because we live in a culture in which if anyone, quote unquote, dares to say, hmm, I wonder if it was the vaccine, they could be very, very severely personally attacked. And and it, it's it's almost like um, we the, the general public acts as like a paid security team for Big Pharma in that if something happens, people that you know in your life, loved ones will say, oh, you're talking crazy. You're an anti-vaxxer. It can't be that. And they'll def they'll basically repeat stuff that they've been heard be that, that they've heard before. And all you're trying to do is say, hey, someone that I love had this reaction. I looked into it and now I'm concerned. 
Yeah, and I've had so many people of late now that I've been a little bit more vocal come up to me and say, boy, I wish I would have known I went to vaccinated my child who was then damaged. And I mean, over and over again, and then you want to talk about regret, uh, regret for staying silent for 30 years, uh, you know, because that's, uh, I started coming into this for, you know, 30 years ago, but I figured, look, you do what you need to do and I'll do what we need to do. And you know, we don't need to, we don't really need to fight about it. But um, uh, you see that by staying silent, there's problems. Oh, absolutely. And, and I, one of the honors of speaking to you is you're somebody that has a platform and that can use that platform to help educate others and inspire others, which we can now fast forward to this time period that we're in where suddenly more than ever before, I would say, I would assume you would agree with that, vaccines are, are a topic of conversation. People, people are talking about good, bad, definitely not indifferent. And I know that your stance and your, your, you, putting your knowledge into action has led to some um, issues in your life, including your alma mater, Gonzaga University, which told, told you that you couldn't go to their games because you wouldn't wear a mask or perhaps it had to do with the vaccine mandate. And suddenly you went from be, being sort of a returning hero to being persona non grata. Well, I don't know about returning hero. I mean, I did return home after my career and Gonzaga has been Boy, it's been such a huge part of my life since I was a child. I used to sneak into the gym when I was a young kid just to try to play basketball with anybody that would play. So and my, my grandfather went there. My father went there. My, my wife's family went there. So, uh, you know, it's it's still home to me. And, and even with the problems, it's still home. However, you're right. I was a visible. I was a visible person. There. I wasn't the only person not wearing masks, but I couldn't look across at the students knowing what I know about masks and the, and the harm that they caused and the dangers that are presented for them, just wearing them casually. Uh, I couldn't sit across from them, watching them cheer for their players and, and just act like, hey, this is how we do things. We just do what we're told, even if it harms us and um, and doesn't help anybody else. I, I don't know. I, I had to put my, my, my heels in the sand a little bit, and, and as did they. And uh, it was all friendly. But, uh, boy, it's an impasse. And God's sake, to this day, they re-upped. They uh, – this spring, they said we're we're going with the requirements for vaccines wow. for the COVID vaccines through May through through the end of the school year, despite all the evidence. I I don't know what to do with that, frankly. I just know that I they've offered the tickets back, um, and this is from the highest up in the school, and they've offered them back. Said here you go, but again, good conscience. I can't sit there and allow them to to stick with a policy that's going to hurt their students. Um, for them as much as for anybody. I mean, it's the students and the school and its reputation. It's important to me. Absolutely. I That, I, that was going to be a follow-up question. To be radically honest, I was assuming when I asked you well, where the things stand now, I was going to uh, expecting to hear you say, well, they've kind of shifted back and pulled back. And you, you, and to say that they're, they're digging their heels in that sense, it's, it's just absolutely astonishing. And um, I, I have a quote of yours that you said on Robert Kennedy's podcast where you said, I didn't feel like I could morally wear a mask to the games because it means so much. It means so much more when it comes to the autonomy that we should have with our bodies, and I couldn't do it. And I, I think that that stance is so crucial because you you were, I know you didn't like me saying returning hero, but you're somebody that means a lot to the Gonzaga community. And 
you anyone could have i'm sure well-meaning people would say john just just cave a little bit just wear the mask to the games everybody's happy we love you here and i truly respect that you said no this is a a, a public moral stance that i'm taking not for myself per se, but for all the people that are seeing me say, all right, I'll wear the mask. And you're leading, you're giving that as a leading by example, as opposed to what you're doing now. Yeah, I'm trying. Uh, it's, it's, I mean, we, we, you mentioned bodily autonomy. It's crucial. We, we should be able to make, I mean, since COVID came around, actually came around in Washington state a little bit sooner with the uh, MMR shot. They, they, the CDC acknowledged in the newspaper that, that it doesn't work and that they were considering a third dose. And somehow in two months after that, they were able to pass it through the legislature that they needed to tighten the grip on it. So they eliminated personal exemptions, which is one of our ways not to take a mandated shot. If we have a personal or philosophical objection to doing it, we don't have to. So they, they set the precursor to that about a year or two before, and then COVID comes around and, and, Personal exemptions are out the window. Medical exemptions, I know physicians were were told they could not give them out. And I also know physicians who were told that if they did, they would lose their license. So you can rule out medical exemptions as well. All that's left is religion. And what did they do? They challenged religious exemptions everywhere. Who has the right to challenge your religious fervor? If you say, I believe religiously in this, in America, the America I grew up in, that's the end of the story. Absolutely. I was about to say that is that there's a period at the end of, at the end of that sentence. This this uh, goes against my religious, my deeply held religious or spiritual beliefs, I believe, is, is how they want you to phrase it. And I remember when I was younger that that was accepted, that there were religious exemptions. And um, I know I'm speaking to a fellow Catholic school alumni. I went to 12 years <laughs> Catholic school and I, I left for a while. I consider myself a returning prodigal son now, but I I can't help but notice that during the past three years, particularly in 2020 and 2021, that we this this line from the First Amendment seems to have been forgotten. Congress shall make no law prohibiting the free exercise of religion. But during the past three years, that many, 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 most people in America could not peaceably assemble in a church, a temple, a mosque, or an ashram. And this is a clear violation of the Bill of Rights with zero science to support it. So I'm wondering, does, does your faith help inform you in your choice to face the criticism, the slings and arrows, and to take these moral stands um, to say, no, I'm, I'm drawing this line in the sand and will not go any further. Well, yeah, first, and you mentioned the church is first shame. I'm a little upset with our church. Um, how can you close the doors? I mean, you, mm. you know, you know how this country works and you know how there, there's nothing that shuts the door of a church. Absolutely. Nothing. And yet they shut the doors. They allowed that. They played into that. So we, we've got some healing to do there as well. But at the end of the day, I mean, why do we even need exemptions, religious or otherwise? Who has the right to mandate a, a, a anything, anything injected into our bodies for any purposes? That's our choice. And you see all the, 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 the people fighting for choice in this world. Where are those voices saying, no, there's nothing that enters our body? I mean, th- this... This shouldn't be a discussion about exemptions. This should be why is anybody allowed to put medicines in our body without our, uh, first of all, our, our complete knowledge of every possibility that can happen with it, but then without our consent. I mean, not just verbal, write it down, say, look, I understand all the rules. That's how it's supposed to work. Amen to that. That's what the codes for. Absolutely. No, I, I couldn't agree more. The, the, there is 
the onus is on the state and the corporations that make that 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 are funded by the state, i.e., our tax dollars that create these drugs. The onus is on them to to prove to us that we should put this in our body, not the reverse. That we we're the ones that have to do all this independent research and get sometimes mocked for it but as you know that that comes with the territory i mean you have all from your from your experience going back like you said 30 years ago you understand the importance of research like this self-education and sharing what you learn like it's not just for you or your immediate family it becomes our duty absolutely when i and i think i we we lost contact there for a few minutes before but i've had friends come up to me and say i wish i i wish i would have known this stuff before I vaccinated my kids and they become harmed. And so I have a lot of regret about that is, is, is had I'd spoken out earlier, these kids would be healthier. And, and again, I think that's one of the big stats that's come out, uh, not just recently, but, but that vaccinated children are, vaccinated people are profoundly less healthy than the unvaccinated. Did I say yeah. that right? Yeah. So e- even if it does, even if any, if any of their, claims about fixing it, even like the polio vaccine, for example, was introduced late, late, well after the curve had ended for polio. The uh, the guy who developed that vaccine even said it came after and it was more the ending of DDT than than the polio vaccine that saved it. So, you know, that they've they've claimed for a long time that they're successful. But even if you accept that they're successful, they the um, Healthier people are unvaccinated people across the board. They live longer. They live healthier. Plain, okay. and, plain and simple. And and to, to on the polio vaccine, I am going to admittedly be doing this off the top of my head, so I'll have to look look up to verify. But I remember reading about how recently there was a lot of talk about um, this respiratory virus that was going around that they were trying to sort of drum up another pandemic about six months ago. And I heard a doctor on. Robert Kennedy's podcast again, talking about how when they did the research on quote unquote research on polio vaccines, they they had to create these these diseases within the primates that they use, which then exposed people to a respiratory disease that they never would have been exposed to if they hadn't done this research. And there is very, very um, reasonable and, and compelling evidence that more people have died from the respiratory vaccine than could have ever died from polio. But as you said, when 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 I know myself that when I critique, say, the COVID vaccine, people get very defensive and say, oh, come on, look at the polio vaccine. Look at these vaccines. Smallpox, they've saved lives because they're sort of just repeating um, these talking points. And I'm not blaming them for that, but I am saying to them, well, how do you know that's true? Like, what what research have you done? And, and I to go back to what we were saying, it's so important that we do it and we share it. And I think that we're at a tipping point now where, as you just mentioned, more and more people are open to hearing what we're saying. I agree. That That's one of the good things about it. I think people are looking with the more suspicious eye and, and that gives me hope. Um, problem is a lot of damage has been done. I mean, this there's been damage by vaccines for years and it's been hidden. Um, you know, what is it? The uh, HEPA virus, you know, put everything to shame prior to COVID. So the, the damages by that HPV shot surpassed all the others by a lot. And they're mm-hmm. still advertising for that on TV. Every day I see it. But COVID has blown that out of the water. And uh, so so people have to see it. I hope they see it. If not, then, you know, it's, it's the way it goes. I can't help you. 
Well, you're doing your part though. And, and like I said, part of the reason we're having this conversation is because I'm, I've heard your voice and, and, and been compelled by what you're saying. And, and, um, you have, you, but let's, let's take this opportunity to talk about the group that you're part of and the podcast you're doing called Voices for Medical Freedom. What can you tell us about that? Well, Voices for Medical Freedom Freedom is a group. It started out just kind of athletes. We tried to get a group of athletes together just so you'd have a place to share information that was safe. Um, if you wanted to speak out, there were some avenues that we could provide to help you speak out. And that still exists. It's expanded a little bit. We have actually NBA refs. We have announcers. We have ex-athletes that are performers, you know, whether it's musicians or actors or whatever. So it's still a humble-sized group but it's a good one. And what we do, Ken Rutgers is my partner in the podcast. He's the former offensive lineman for the Green Bay Packers Hall of Fame, Green Bay Packer Hall of Famer, a great guy. And his wife was damaged by the vaccine. She was part of the test studies and she's still, she's still suffering. Um, And he's just the type of guy that steps up and says, let's see what we can do about it. So we've gotten together and done this podcast and we're not necessarily talking to the most famous people in the world. We One of our best episodes was with three frontline nurses. Um, these gals were there. They, they did their job and they uh, weathered the storm of both COVID and the shots. And they were very candid about their experiences. We had uh, people that have been damaged greatly. This React 19 group with Dr. Wallace Cog and Brianne and Brian Dressen, who, who literally were part. Brian's a, a scientist. And he's part of the studies that his wife participated in. She's irreparably damaged. Um, and they were phenomenal stories, uh, not happy ones, uh, but phenomenally informative from the medical side. I mean, they're, they're people that were all in, 100% all in. We've had um, holistic doctors. We've had people that have participated in uh, uh, January 6th and, yeah, we're not making judgments. We're just providing their voice and giving them a chance to speak, kind of like you do, Mickey. Fantastic. I love to hear that. And and I agree. On my Substack, where I post this podcast and I also write articles, when I write about, um, in some cases, the complicity of the medical industri- industrial complex in the past three years, I'm happy to say, as you just mentioned, I'll get comments in my comment threads from current practitioners, nurse practitioners, people with their feet on the ground in these locations telling me, um, yes, but it's not all like that. And and it sounds like the type of people that you're interviewing who are able to to um, put a human face on this because it's been, it, it seems like it's black and white. There's a huge chunk of America over the past three years that just have this blanket term of healthcare heroes, where medicine is unquestioned, trust to science. And then there's a group of people that have been skeptical about what we've been told about the pandemic, who then will paint every medical practitioner as part of the scheme. And I've slid into that at times. And that's where these folks um, drag me out and say, no, no, it's not that simple. There are gray areas in there. So I applaud you for having these people on because we can't this is the beauty of a podcast because each of us can have passions and, you know, bust our ass studying and researching, but we can't know everything. So we have guests on who know more than we do about <laughs> topics and we ask them questions and you just sit back and it's like, it's like, it's so enjoyable. I mean, I'm enjoying this now because it's like you have experience that I cannot 
connect with or relate to. So together, we just now double the experience for people to listen to. So bravo for doing that. And and also bravo to you. I, I know from our minimal interactions that you're not exactly a tech guy, right? You have a flip phone and no social media. Like you're a face-to-face old school type of guy and you got a podcast. So that that's pretty impressive. Yeah, I had to buy a microphone and a camera and everything. I mean, I, the, uh, I, I'm really out on a limb on this tech stuff. <laughs> I really admire that though, because it's I was I was interviewing a couple of weeks ago a woman who was a survivor of the Nazi Holocaust, who since that since she became an adult has run an organization and has spoken out for medical freedom and informed consent. And during the during COVID, has been somebody that has been saying, "Be careful of these tactics. We've seen these before." And she's such an admirable woman, and she produced a five part docu-series. So You're talking I, about Vera. Vera. Okay. You know Vera. Okay. Vera, we, we just interviewed her this week. Fantastic. What a wonderful woman. Oh my God. Oh, that's so, it's so cool. Cause I was equating her to you in the sense that I said, Hey, have you ever made a film before? How did you make a five part um, docu-series? And she said, well, if the, if the topic's important, you just got to plunge in and learn. And I feel like that's what you just did with the podcast. It's like, all right, listen, I'm not Mr. Tech guy, but this is important to me. And boom, like that, that, that work ethic kicks in and you figure it out. But that is so cool that you interviewed Vera also. What a what a lady, what an experience. I, I felt like both Ken and I, we I think Ken mentioned it during our podcast with her. We feel like we're on hallowed ground. I mean, we're sitting there listening to their her, and there was something deeper than just a conversation. Oh, and yeah. uh I don't know. We just felt like we were in in, you know, we're well, like I said, how hallowed ground, looking at the burning bush, whatever. It was it was a special conversation. I couldn't agree more. You, you get this sense of like of of feeling honored to be um, exposed to her life experience and wisdom because it's stuff that I'll say thankfully I can't relate to. Like who the the hand and that's the last generation of Holocaust survivors and the, the, the someone like her needs to be treated this way and I'm so glad that we're that her voice is being um, expanded and, and echoed across the globe. Um, now you mentioned before having athletes on. Can I ask you a couple of basketball questions before we you come bet. back to this? Okay. Still my favorite subject. Okay. So I'm, this may, I'm not sure whether this is a, a an obvious question or not, but do you still follow the pro game? I, are you a, an NBA fan? Um, I, I didn't follow it a lot when I was playing. I mean, when we weren't playing, I wasn't turning it on, watching, you know, five other games, things like that. I don't know if that's changed. I'm distinctly busier now than I was when I was playing. Um, whether it's whether it's this or you know our kids are grown up and they have kids, we have grandkids, and mm. life's just really busy. So I, I'm not purposely not trying to watch them, but I, I haven't caught many games. It's just uh, you know not trying to uh, send a message with that at all. But uh, but no, I haven't followed it very much. I can't, you know, it's funny as I'm on the other end of the spectrum, I've been, I grew up in here in New York city. Sports is like a religion here. You know, you can debate sports on the street corners. And, and I was at times in my life, a very avid sports fan. And then as life goes on, you, your interests, you hope your interests expand your responsibilities and, and your social circles. And it, you can't follow it to that level, but I, but from what, from what you do follow, I am, Curious to know, 
how, what do you feel about modern basketball in terms of things that didn't exist so much when you were playing, like the concept of load management or the way there's so much spacing, which I would imagine would certainly benefit you. I mean, not that you, you already had a Hall of Fame career. You didn't need any extra benefit, but I would imagine the way offenses are set up today might be something that you would have some fun in. Yeah, might've been. I mean, people always talk about it. The old guys you couldn't play in today's game. And I, I don't know. I mean, it seems to me like it would be easier to play when somebody can't hold you and grab you the whole time and <laughs> be physical. But, uh, and you mentioned load management. I mean, to me, that's, that's probably one of the most criminal criminal. That's I'm not going to use that word because we we're seeing real criminal activity. It, it's one of the worst things the NBA can allow. Frankly, it's, uh, I, I, I know of a young man who, who got in a car accident trying to drive to a jazz game, uh, a long time ago to see his favorite players. And, I remember going to baseball games, uh, major league baseball game one time. And the guy I went to see didn't play that day, took a day off. He wasn't hurt. And my, my feeling for that player, that, that team that changed immediately. Uh, I, you know, I believe you got to go to work. I think we got to be examples, even though we're, we're supposed to protect our bodies and be out there giving it our best. I think our best means you play when you're hurt. I think our best means you, you don't take days off and uh boy we owe it to the fans at the end of the day they pay all our salaries whether it's through tv or through the gates and to sit out games i, I tell you I, I i'm offended by that frankly bravo for that john i'm, I'm happy to hear that because it it's it feels like the answers to that question have been loaded that you sound like you're speaking in cliches but the, the when you say like like a classic comeback there would be, um, well, you know, the rest, the rest of workers in America, for the most part, if they wake up not feeling so well, or they twisted an ankle going up the stairs, they still go to work. And, and so, like it, the, the professional athletes have, um, training staffs and medical staffs and they fly first class. And it's hard. I, I think they're alienating their audience. I think people or have trouble relating when I, when I can go back in my life and think about, athletes of all sports where I felt some sense of solidarity and relatability to them. So I'm, again, this is not some blanket condemnation, but I do, I, my heart breaks for someone who's considering even the price of tickets today, like you said, who maybe has one game a year and they show up and the person that they're expecting is just off because they're scheduled for load management that day. That just seems inherently wrong. It, it does me too. And then, but there's so many, there's so many buckets of money that, uh, these professional sports can tap, tap into, you know, whether it's expanding to the China's of the world, you know, just these vast populations or whether it's yeah, gambling revenue or whether it's TV revenue or whatever. I mean, gambling was a no, no, my yeah. entire life in sports. And now it's, it's partnered. So, you know, they're finding other ways to get revenue. And because of that, I, again, I get it. I'm, I'm a player and I'm getting paid more. I'm not going to bite the hand that feeds me. And same thing with the owners and et cetera. Um, so, but I, but I think that at the end of the day, if you lose your fans, and I don't know when that that tipping happens, that tipping point happens, but if you lose them, you lose everything. And so, uh, I don't know. I think it's a bad bad strategy, and hopefully, they figure it out pretty soon. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, and um, when when you were like you mentioned going to baseball games and so on as a kid, when when you were growing up, was there a particular athlete in, in specific, more specifically a basketball player that felt like 
the inspiration that, you know, that even when you were tired, you just went, you kept practicing and getting on the court to become the player you became? There's probably a number of people that fit in that category, but, but it surprised you that they were pretty local. Uh, first of all, whatever my brother did, I did. I mean, I, you, <laughs> they, they used me to drop me into the, you know, when you open the gym doors and they were chained. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they would drop me over in, they would chain, they'd pull those as far apart as they could and drop me in through the top. And then I'd go open a window and every once in a while they'd let me play. So, First of all, my brother was one of those. Um, a guy by the name of Mike Kelly. There's actually two guys on the high school I ended up going to that were older than me. But Mike Kelly really took me under his wing, and and uh, I had so much fun playing basketball with him whenever I got a chance. And, uh, and then I had a teammate, Steve Brown, who was a little bit ahead of the rest of us and uh, was always a, that carrot in front of us to, to drive. So, yeah, I had those heroes, but they were local. They were um, eventually became good friends. Um, pretty neat way to grow up really oh yeah that sounds awesome all right so so segueing from that like developing friendships to bring it back to the original topic when when you you gave me a couple of examples of people who've confided in you privately boy i wish i would have known this sooner or i wish i would have spoken out um without focusing on the negative can you give me an idea like if you want to give me an idea of, of some criticism you faced but Behind the scenes, say people say, I don't want to do this up front. Are you getting a fair amount of good feedback for being someone that's like, hey, I'm just not going to buy into this narrative and I'm not going to do it reflexively. I'm going to do it with knowledge and I'm going to I'm going to educate people about what I know and and not sit back silently because I feel I have a lot to offer. So are you getting, besides the inevitable criticism that you're going to get, you know, if someone types in John Stockton vaccine into Google, the first 10 articles will come up will be critical articles of you. That's just the way the algorithm is set up. But what I'm curious about, and I'm pretty, really confident that you'll have examples, is that how much positive support are you getting? It's been overwhelming, the support, really. Uh, the people I've had a chance to meet and talk with since this, since, you know, since I came out, I guess is the best way to put that, uh, has been staggering. Um, wonderful people, intelligent, um, like you mentioned earlier in the show, way up there on the food chain in terms of intelligence and, and, and having done testing and on all this stuff that they do. Um, so that's been overwhelming. I, like a negative one, would, the, probably the worst one I've suffered was, uh, very good friend of mine I went to high school with. Um, she and her husband, when I when we moved back, also very good friends. They continue to be very good friends as our kids went through the school and sports. Uh, we were at a game not too long ago, and and I said, "Well, hey there, how you doing?" I go to give her a hug, which we've done, you know, hundreds of times. Turned her back. Wow. Now and I had to go, and she's a nurse. She works very hard. She has done nothing but care for people. Uh, wonderful person. And I said, Hey, what's going on here? Well, John, people are getting hurt. I go, yeah, I know. I go, let's talk about this. Let's talk about it. no, no, we're not talking about it. And and that was, that was the most frustrating one because it was somebody that was close to me, somebody that it, I felt that if they were, if they felt I was way out of line, they would have tapped me on the shoulder and said, Hey, John, before this ever happened, let's talk about this. You know, you're out of line. And then we'd have had the discussion then. But uh, as it turns out, I, I, I'm still frustrated by that a little bit, that uh, that people very close to me um, can't see it or aren't willing, Most, more importantly, aren't willing to talk about it. Oh, man, I'm sorry to hear that. And I, and sadly, I could relate in, in personal examples myself where I, 
it's something in the past three years in particular is that people can get offended at a distance from somebody they know personally, but like you said, choose to not say, hey, can we have a sit down? Because I'm very confused and upset with what you're advocating. And I, but I respect your, you as a good person and as a smart person. So I want to know, how did you reach these points? And would you listen back to me? And, and you, you, you know, it sounds Pollyanna, but it's, it's when you cultivate face-to-face friendships, you assume that that is a possibility. And again, I'm sorry to hear that, but I'm happy to hear prior, the earlier part of that answer where you said that the, there's been overwhelmingly positive um, support for you. And I can only hope and pray that you guys can circle back at some point to this old friend where maybe you can reconcile. But I think that would be a great way to kind of begin wrapping up here is if people are listening who say to themselves, you know, I've been doing my homework and I, I support this autonomy and freedom of choice and informed consent, but every time I stick my head up, I feel like I'm, I'm getting whacked and attacked. And, and so I'm going to just back off and let people do what they want. What type of advice do you feel like from your experience that you could offer to people to encourage them on how to weather and navigate this tricky kind of uncharted territory of wanting to help people, but being aware that in some cases you'll get attacked even for your good intentions? Well, I, I think that uh, this this world's a little goofy, uh, and there's there's a lot of people that are willing to slam you. I and mean, you mentioned social media; they're big. Our politicians, I mean, our, we have our our health district here in Spokane, Washington, still promoting the vaccine right. uh, to this date, saying it's saying it works for both the original and the Omicron, et cetera. And you kind of, I, I mean, I don't even know what to do with that. Again, it's it's, uh, and those are people that we're trusting. I. I, back trying to answer your question, I, I think that we can't self-censor. So, and it's so easy to say, well, I will lose my job or, or I won't get this job or I won't get, how do you know? I mean, what, when one door shuts, another one opens. And um, I, I think that you have to try to speak truth and take your doses, you know, whatever comes of it. And again, I, there's so many great people out there. I've had people on the other side of the fence that are that disagree with me, but are open to the conversations. And those are nice. I mean, I enjoy yes. those. I wish I could make more headway with them, but at least they're nice because you know where everybody's at. It's good old school, eye to eye, face to face conversations. Yeah, that's that's beautiful. I couldn't agree more. And quick side note, I, I totally feel you. I'm, I mean, I'm not familiar with Spok- the, the politics of Spokane, but here in New York City, you know, we're more than three years past. And when I was out earlier this morning at the gym, a fair amount of people are, are working out in masks. And and it's it's there. A lot of New York is is clinging on with as hard as they can to all the COVID restrictions and not seeming willingly to let go. And uh, to use your phrase, I don't know what to do with that. Like it's because there, there are times where human, there's times where you feel frustrated and, and some anger of like, like it's three years. Can you just listen? But it's, but I love your advice of like, don't, center it like for everyone involved don't center it around yourself like it's this is a big issue and the more each of us can do to contribute to the greater good then we'll have more of those face-to-face conversations you're talking about absolutely there's a there's a video out it's a long one it's a series called vaccines revealed patrick gentempo puts it together but i think in the third third part of that series there's a whole section where the the gal that 
that OSHA hires and a gal that the military hires to give lessons on masks and why they're dangerous to be worn and how you use them specifically for medical purposes or, or scientific, you know, testing purposes, et cetera, why and when you should use them and the dangers of it and how, how just a 5% drop in your oxygen intake can damage brain cells. And, and yet we are masking our children. And so if people can get a chance to see these two people, these again are the experts on masks in the country, understood by both sides. These are the experts are telling you don't wear them. Then everybody needs to see that. There's still people driving around by themselves in a mask. I see the same thing. Yeah. Well, so what? That's called vaccines revealed. Vaccines revealed. Yeah, okay. and it's. Uh, um, so I, I'll look yeah. it up. I'll look it up and include that in the show notes along with your podcast because whenever a guest mentions something particularly passionately, I try to include it to say, hey, John mentioned this. There's the link. Check it out. And you just hope that someone can can watch it with an open mind. It's not saying watch this and believe every word. We're not, we shouldn't be trying to indoctrinate anyone, right. but the, the goal hopefully would be to, Hey, could you entertain a different um, point of view long enough to possibly change your mind? And then you make the same promise back to them that you, that you're going to, you're going to hear them with good listening skills and, and curiosity and, and, um, you know, to, to, to zero in on one thing we both agreed on about mid conversation is that, that admits the madness of the last three years, there is an opening where people having conversations about medical issues, vaccines, et cetera, that prior to this were very rare and were often just dismissed with a, with an easy phrase like anti-vax and then they move on. And now they, they can't dismiss it that easily anymore because there's too many of us. And, and so you're somebody that's out there helping to galvanize people doing important work and, and, um, I'm really, really grateful that you made time today and I enjoy talking to you. And I, I mean, I, I watched you for years play sports. So I, the, the sports fan in me also is kind of like, Hey, this is so cool. I'm talking to John Stockton right now. So, so thank you so much, my friend. I I really appreciate it. And um, I hope we can stay in touch. I hope so too, man. If I can just add one last thing is that please do. we, whatever side of this narrative you're on, we have way more things in common than we have, that aren't um, even the people that are wearing masks, taking the shots versus the guys that refuse to do any of this. We're all trying to be healthier. We all want our children to be healthier. Our parents, our grandparents to be healthier. We're all trying to do the right thing. So at the end of the day, try to listen to each other at, at knowing that, you know, we're not the enemies and uh, there you go. That's it. That's that's exactly. That is it. Thank you very much for that summation. I appreciate it. And thank you so much for this conversation. My pleasure, Mickey. Thank you. I'll be back with some closing thoughts after one more word from our sponsor. Hey, Mickey Z here. I trust you're enjoying this episode, but I wanted to take a quick break to request that you seriously consider becoming a paid subscriber to Post Woke, because Post Woke is more than this podcast, which is a weekly podcast with crucial, important conversations with crucial and important guests. Post Woke is also a Substack on which I post on a daily basis. I'm talking about written posts. And I, first and foremost, I am a writer. I have 12 books out and I have been writing for many decades. And so you are getting quality content at least once a day, all for $5 a month. 
And no matter what you decide, you can become a free subscriber if you choose. I ask you to please share the link and spread the word. And while you're at it, check the show notes for information on how to order the post-woke t-shirt. It is a completely cool kick-ass shirt and you could show the world what your favorite podcast and Substack is. So I thank you in advance for your support. Again, I urge you to spread the word and let's get back to the show. I want to return to something I said off the top of my head in this podcast when John made an important point about the polio vaccine, and I was referring to RSV, the respiratory syncytial virus, which was once called the chimpanzee coriza virus. Um, But of course, they changed the name because to leave the word chimpanzee in the title would be to reveal that this virus was released um, through experiments on monkeys in the name of trying to find a quote-unquote polio vaccine. And this RSV virus, which previously was never seen in human populations, was suddenly released through this so-called research. And now today, on an annual basis, RSV leads to 2.1 million outpatient visits, 177,000 hospitalizations among adults 65 and older, 14,000 deaths among adults 65 and older, 58,000 hospitalizations among children younger than five, and 60,000 deaths in children under the age of five. So translation, The process of seeking an alleged polio vaccine has resulted in far more deaths than polio ever did. So I just wanted to clarify that because the way I phrased it during the podcast was not even close to clear. And so sometimes even when you're examining your own words, you got to keep your guard up. 